sloppy spoilers with your host, DT2. Hello and welcome to Sloppy Spoilers. My name is David Taylor II. I'm your host. You know me as DT2 Comics Chat on Twitter. On this special edition of Sloppy Spoilers, we're going to be talking about the Avengers Age of Ultron. The reason we're doing this is because we haven't reviewed this film yet, but also this movie is what directly feeds into WandaVision. You have to have watched Age of Ultron for WandaVision to really have the emotional resonance on one level, and then obviously Infinity War and Endgame. But Age of Ultron is the movie that introduces Wanda and Pietro Maximoff to the Marvel Cinematic Universe. So I'd like to welcome my co-host. Welcome to David Nemesis Howard. How are you doing, Dave? Hey, how's everybody doing out there? You can find me at Nemesis FC2, at Nemesis FC2, and I am uh, doing great. Glad to be here. Glad to be uh, talking a little bit about Age of Ultron, because I'm really looking forward to talking about WandaVision. Welcome to Steve, Shade Wing Sellers. How are you doing, Steve? Uh, doing great, and uh, there came a day, a day unlike no other, uh, in which we <laughs> banded together to talk about this movie, and I'm looking forward to it. And your Twitter handle is? Uh, yes, uh, Shade Wing. It's uh, spelled the way it sounds. Welcome to Jeff, Dr. Faye Bracey. How you doing, Bracey? I'm good, and I'd like to let you all know at this time out there in the land of the internet that we will give you our unbiased review of things because unlike some other places on the world wide web we have no strings <laughs> and you can find me at bracey452 at twitter at b-r-a-c-e-y 452 righty then <laughs> So I'm going to show you how we're going to do this review, but first we're going to start off with general impressions, and then I'm going to show you about the deep dive. So my general impressions of this movie was it really took me a long time to warm to it, and that's because it is so dense. It is like the Matrix Reloaded. It's dense. There's a lot that happens. There's a lot that happens in every scene. There's a lot of dialogue. There's a lot of decisions. There's a lot that goes on. And so the first time I watched it, I didn't really quite get it. It was it was much more than I was expecting to try to digest. And the characterizations of all of the characters are varied. Some characters are spot on. Some characters are like, what in the world is this? So it's got that weed and snark, which sometimes is cool, but everybody's not supposed to be snarking, but we'll get into that. So I can honestly say this movie has grown on me. I can still see its flaws. I'm able to enjoy it much more now for what it is, even though I think even the title is a misnomer because it wasn't like Age of Ultron. That sounds good. It was more like maybe like Week of Ultron, but we'll get into that. Um, <laughs> I'm glad that it introduced the Maximoffs, even though we lose Pietro, which we're still talking about that. We'll get into that. And um, we got some cool fan weeks. We 
we got some cool nods to the comics and um but it's really the the game changer just like it was in the comics because the first time the avengers lineup changed and they added captain america around issue four and they lost the hulk and stuff like that we started to get a sense that the Avengers were not going to be a static team like the Fantastic Four were. Even though the roster of the FF has changed, they always come back to their core four because they're a family. Avengers are not like that. The Avengers uh, kind of led the way with the rotating roster, you know, obviously behind the Justice League. And so this is the point in the movies, the second movie, where you start to get that sense as to who's a part of the team and who's not and how they get there and all that. So it was really a game changer on many, many, many levels. So I'm going to turn it over to my co-host. Let me hear your general impressions. Start with Bracy. General impressions of the film are pretty favorable. Like you said, there is a, there's a lot to this movie. It's uh it's pretty deep, pretty dense. Um, but I, I guess maybe I'm, uh, haven't been a long time fan of Whedon. I'm used to his sort of, uh, storytelling devices and whatnot. Uh, I do agree with you that, uh, one problem with Whedon and all those who want to be Whedon clones thereafter since the Buffy days is the level of snark. It's like you said, every character doesn't need to be snarky. Uh, it's just, uh, it's just not realistic that way. Um, uh, I, I get the idea that they think this, uh, you know, appeals to all the youngsters like, oh, yeah, we're all cool and edgy and snarky. But like, you know, that's just not the way it is, especially when you consider uh, some of these characters are easily in their 40s. <laughs> so there's that to deal with. But uh, overall, I really enjoyed the film. Uh, Joss Whedon certainly knows how to put together a good narrative. He knows how to write compelling characters, unlike uh, many of his clones, unfortunately. And uh, in spite of its flaws, uh, there's there's a great deal to enjoy here. And while it wasn't as solid an outing as, I'd say, the first Avengers, which was more or less just your very simple, straightforward kind of superhero origin story. You know, you go point A to point B uh, relatively directly. I do like the introduction, uh, which will lead into things that the Russos do later on with the, uh, the franchise. I do like the introduction of uh, darker and grittier elements that uh, build on the characters uh, from the the very easy sort of uh, enjoyable comic book origins that they get in their uh, their premiere movies and the first Avengers film into what will come later. Well, this this movie fully establishes the Marvel way the marvel pattern which is everything has to set up something else now it was always that way because everything was leading to the first avengers this is where it goes exponential this is where we see that the seed planting technique is going to be a marvel staple and everything that we see is going to lead to something else go ahead general impression steve yeah, um, I'm a big fan of uh, Joss Whedon's past stuff. Uh, I make no bones about it. I mean, I was a big fan of Buffy. I watched a lot of Angel, uh, except season four. Um, Firefly is an absolute classic. I mean, I've even watched, you know, stuff like Cabin in the Woods. So uh, Whedon and I go a long way back. And I mean, and I will say uh, the original Avengers film, the first one he did is 
Um, one probably one of my favorite MCU films even now. I think because Whedon really gets into the comics angle, he understands what makes the comics work. Uh, I mean, the guy wrote Astonishing X-Men, and that was, you know, really great when it worked. Um, but with Age of Ultron, you get the sense he was trying to one-up himself, like, in every respect, and he goes balls to the wall with it. And when it works, it is awesome. And when it doesn't work, it's like, oh, my God, Josh, what were you thinking? Um, and I will say that for me, this is what I consider to be a flawed gem um, there are things that I consider interesting failures, which are, you know, movies that really didn't work, but man, they're compelling. Flawed Gem, it, for me, is kind of the same thing. It is really, really compelling, but it's got those nagging things that annoy you throw the whole way through the movie, even though you really like it. And that's what the what uh, Age of Ultron is for me. Uh, the good things really, really make this worth watching, despite the flaws. But man, when you focus on the flaws, it's just sort of very uh, uh, face-palmingly stupid. Um, and for me, like the thing that uh, most of the things I realized, like watching it the last time, uh, was that I hate everything to do with Black Widow and Hulk. Um, I think if you would take all the stuff related to their arc out of the movie, it would have been a good movie. Um, not that there are, are, are no things wrong with that. I mean, you guys have been talking about the dialogue and that's fine. Um, you know, I do agree that uh, Whedon really, um, he, he tends to try to be too many for his own good sometimes and on characters it doesn't work for. It works for Tony Stark. It doesn't really work for like Hulk. Uh, so yeah, I do completely get that. But for me, uh, in terms of major problems, I would say most of them really rely on that relationship. But we'll talk about that later, probably. Yeah, Natasha and Banner, we're still talking about the what in the world, but we'll get to that. Uh, go ahead, General Impressions, Dave. Yeah, I, I think I'm very much on board with Steve in this. I, I'm of two minds about this movie. Um, there are things that I, I love, you know, the, a lot of the action sequences I love. That opening sequence where they're fighting Hydra is wonderful. I think it's one of the best Avengers sequences outside of that first Avengers movie that we had had. Uh, you know, that the ending of the first Avengers movie, you know, up until that point, until, you know, I would say the big fight at the end of, uh, what is it, uh, Endgame. You know, that was some of the best Avengers action I think we had had, you know, that whole sequence of fighting with the Hydra, uh, against Hydra. Um, my biggest problem with this movie is what you were talking about, is that there is so much in it that if we were to get a, I dare do I use the term, the Whedon cut of Age of Ultron, uh, this movie could easily have been four or five hours long. And I would have been fine with it because I wanted more in-depth on everything they added. And how can I say that? Well, look at, you know, I think I don't think it's anybody's, will surprise anybody that I'm a big fan of villains. And to me, if a movie, a comic book movie is going to be good, the villain has to be up to the uh, task of, of driving a lot of the plot forward. Well, mm -hmm. we had not one, not two, but three huge villains from the comic books in this movie and in my opinion they all got shortchanged in some way so we start off with zuck uh baron zucker um uh, my brain is not working uh you know the hydra in sokovia so we had all of that going on and and they just they punked him out he didn't really work very well we had you know 
villain, the half villains, they're really not villains so sick per se, but we had Wanda and Pietro, and then they ended up killing off Pietro. That's a whole other thing that I want to talk about at some point. That was very disappointing for me. Then we had uh, Claw, you know, so he gets introduced, but he's in the movie for what, like 30 seconds or something like that, when we, you know, we could have done, seen so much more of him. And then we had Ultron peppered here and there, but it's like, Ultron, in my opinion, as a Avengers foe, deserved the Thanos treatment more than Thanos did. You know, he deserved to be in a couple of movies somehow leading up to Age of Ultron. You know, and instead, we've got the birth of Ultron, him taking over the world or trying to take over the world and then being defeated all in the same movie. And he's not even in the first act of the movie for the most part. You know, he kind of wraps up the first act. So, I mean, that was really disappointing as well. Not to mention that what is so great about Avengers is that they start uh, in this movie is they start expanding out to other parts of the world. But that's also a bad part about the movie, because instead of having a very localized story like the first Avengers within New York City, where we could concentrate on what's going on. And and yes, they did some other things in Berlin and stuff like that. But the bulk of the action took part in New York City. Uh, this time we had stuff, what, in South Korea, we had stuff in South Africa, we had stuff in Sokovia, uh, eventually we go back to Sokovia at the end. I mean, I may be even missing a couple of places. So the movie was all over the place, and there was so much in there, and honestly, if if I had to give my honest opinion on what I thought this movie was, to me it's, who you know, Feige knew that he wanted to get to Infinity War and Endgame and they needed another Avengers movie, but they needed a way to create Vision and they needed a way to get Hulk off Earth. And that's what this movie did. Everything else was just window dressing for them to accomplish those two things so they could get the Mind Stone with Vision in order to get to Infinity War and Endgame. And so they could get the Hulk off Earth so they could get him there for... Uh, the Thor movie, and then eventually he would be part of that whole narrative out in space. I mean, that's the way it really felt to me. Well, you bring up a really good point that they indeed did have several Marvel villains. Uh, who you were talking about was Baron Strucker, probably combining his name yeah. with uh, Zemo. Yep. Uh, so uh, we had that. Like you said, we had Clark. Andy Serkis is always gold. So, and then we find out we find out what happens in Black Panther, which I was extremely disappointed. I'm still kind of in shock over that. Uh, and then, if you know anything about the comics, when Wanda and Pietro were first introduced, they were actually part of the Brotherhood of Evil Mutants. It right. hadn't been revealed or decided or retconned or whatever that they were Magneto's kids when we first meet them. But they were definitely on the side of so-called evil. And then we have Ultron himself, which doesn't really need to come and go in one movie. So, yeah, there's a lot. And the introduction to Vision and all that, we'll get into that. But, yeah, it's a lot that's happening. And it's really a sense of, because I said this the first time I saw it, this movie is a trilogy you know, crammed down into one movie. Mm-hmm. And so if it was really allowed to breathe like it should have, this was easily three movies worth of material. Hmm. And we shouldn't meet the vision until the third movie. But, you know, 
whatever kind of it is what it is. So let me tell you how we're going to do the review. We're going to do the review based on themes, based on themes. So I'm going to throw out a theme and then you can uh, give me your thoughts on it and then talk about the scenes in the movie that uh, justify your position or make you angry or made you ha happy or whatever. But we're going to go over the themes in the movie because it is just much too dense, much too dense to go scene by scene. So the first theme I'm going to throw out is PTSD. The whole uh, arc of Tony Stark's character was about the fact that, number one, he was still in shock that we weren't alone in the universe, which I never bought. I never bought that because, number one, he knew Thor, just like Nick Fury. And number two, uh, there's no one that has that kind of genius and is that well-traveled in the world and reads all, all, all of the background stuff that hasn't at least dipped into extraterrestrial life. But out of all people now, maybe I'm being too hard on him because he did almost die uh, in the first movie and maybe just seeing that alien armada was too much for him and he thought that was gonna be the last thing he saw. Maybe that's what did it. But there's a part of me that just never bought that Tony Stark would be the one to have that severe amount of PTSD, number one. Number two, what Wanda parlayed into him was his guilt that he saw all his friends dead and he saw the world ending and he should have done more. And that's what kicks off the whole push to create Ultron. I'm still not totally sure, again, that I buy all that, those motivators for Tony as a character. Something about that just doesn't feel right to me. It seems like to me his worldview would be big enough for him not to have this meltdown over that. Now, I could be wrong. You guys can definitely, uh, you know, bring your counterpoints, but I, I don't know. It didn't feel right to me. So, especially again, like Nick Fury said, knowing Thor and Loki and that they were out there, that there was all kinds of things happening in the galaxy. So, I don't know. Uh, but let me hear your thoughts on the theme of PTSD, how it affects Tony. And remember, that was pretty much Wanda's whole shtick until she, quote unquote, uh, turned to the good side, the light side. She gave each one of them some type of post-traumatic stress dream. Captain America's was the easiest to deal with because it was about him missing Peggy. Every one of the rest of them, we didn't get to see what she did to the Hulk. He was just red-eyed and angry. But the rest of them we did see, and it was all about them feeling guilty about their past or things that they couldn't change or maybe, you know, a, a prophecy of doom for the future. But Wanda basically took them all down with her PTSD powers. So let, let me hear your thoughts on that. It's also be interesting to hear because two of you are military, and so that's a very real, three-dimensional, real-life issue. So we're going to start with Steve, and then I'm going to throw it out to the military men. So go ahead, Steve. What do you think about PTSD in this movie and as a motivator for Tony? Yeah, uh, for Tony, I don't really buy it so much. Uh, I don't know. It's really weird. But when I think of PTSD, I'm thinking of like other characters in this movie, um, especially Wanda. 
Um, and and again, I, I agree that, you know, a lot of this is for dealing with later, particularly WandaVision, Infinity War and all that. But even at this point, you know, she's definitely suffered some stress as well uh, because uh, she had her uh, her um, family killed by a bomb dropped by Stark Industries. We see this um, that had to have messed her up. So I keep thinking that she is basically kind of sharing her own pain with everybody else when she's doing these things. Uh, so this is kind of like her way of dealing with this, um, because we already see that there is a certain amount of revenge motivation from her and Pietro, um, and they just don't know basically how to express it. Um, so I think in a way, this is what this is Wanda kind of pushing her own issues on other people. And she has a habit of doing this. And particularly with WandaVision, uh, we're going to be talking about, you know, how she is. Uh, basically forces her own issues on other people. So this is definitely has become a character trait of this version of the character, um, even if it might not be as much um, in the comic version, depending on which version you're talking about. Uh, with Tony, yeah, I'm not really so much into that. I mean, you could say, all right, he's been through the most uh, adventures because at this point he'd been in the most movies, I guess. But at this point, I'm not really kind of buying the post-traumatic stress thing uh, with him. Uh, with Cap, I don't know. I feel like he's probably the most well-adjusted of everybody in the entire team. And um, I didn't really, see, other than, okay, yeah, I'm sad because I lost everybody and my girlfriend is now, you know, uh, an old lady now and, and I can't be with her the way I would like to be. Okay, but that's really all that they've got with him. I mean, otherwise he seemed to be holding together pretty well, although he is kind of dealing with his issues by basically being the leader, uh, throwing himself into his work and things like this. So, I mean, you might say it's not the best way of coping, but at least he's coping in a way that is sane. Um, so, yeah. Who I, the other person I think probably is suffering the most is the Black Widow. Um, and, and this is one of the things that really frustrates me about Black Widow in this movie is because Natasha really has an interesting uh, thing that she's dealing with here. And yet... They're, they're completely wasting our time throwing her with Banner and having them trade uh, basically sob stories about how they're monsters. Um, when instead, I would like to see, like, how is exactly she dealing with what the Red Room has done to her? Because we have seen in this movie that the Red Room messed her up, like, physically and mentally. Um, and she's still dealing with those scars. And she's dealing with the guilt that she had from all those all that time from being a, a Soviet assassin. I mean, you know, she is basically dealing with the red on her ledger um, that we saw in the first movie. Uh, so, yeah, she's she's got the most issues to me. I mean, she's the one dealing with the most trauma, really. Um, you can make an argue, I guess, that Banner is as well. But um, we never really see the, the full psychological depth of what Banner's dealing with, aside from, yeah, maybe we ought not build killer robots, and maybe we should, and maybe we shouldn't. Um, yeah, so I think with Banner was kind of dropped. Um, with Hawkeye, I felt it could have been interesting, except that Whedon spends a lot of his time keeping secrets and teasing at what Hawkeye is going is really doing. Uh, and we turn out, you know, that he's keeping secrets from them. And it really didn't make sense that he would keep secrets from people like Captain America, for instance. But um, once we find out what's really going on, you can kind of see that a lot of it is about him being concerned for the people in his life and, you know, not wanting to endanger them and um, and, and so forth. But I don't feel like he's anywhere near in the level of what Tasha for, uh, should be dealing with and, and how she's recovering from this. 
Um, but yeah, I, I, and I will say all in all, I really didn't think of PTSD as a main uh, concern with this film. But I mean, kind of looking at it. Yeah, I mean, definitely there are a lot of things these characters are dealing with. Um, so yeah, I will let I will yield the floor now to the people who uh, are more familiar with uh, PTSD specifically. Well, let me say before I throw it over, uh, Wanda's arc, you know, it took them a while to get to where they got her in the comics and they get her here and, you know, just like three or four movies. So I understand, you know, that's what they had to do on all that, but it's really kind of truncated. We did, it's kind of like Dark Phoenix. We don't spend enough time, but we meet her in the front about the ridiculous death of her brother. Uh, go ahead, Bracey. Yeah, um, PTSD is an interesting thing. And uh, I do think it actually makes for a pretty interesting arc uh, as far as Iron Man's character goes. Uh, I'll say something, uh, because I, I recently uh, experienced some PTSD myself this year, um, but it wasn't military-related. So it's kind of surprising to find out that uh, uh, something that you don't think is it's bad is it's not like being in the middle of combat bad and to find out that that can actually trigger it in you. So it was, it was a surprising revelation, uh, revelation for me. So, uh, so I can't buy that Tony gets PTSD by seeing the alien armada because he was up in that wormhole in the sky and he sees this vast alien armada. And I think there's a big difference between knowing something intellectually and really being faced with it. So like, oh, look, we've got Thor over here. We know they're Asgardians. There are these alien beings with these uh, vast powers of uh, pseudoscience, pseudo-magic sort of thing. But, you know, it's great. Uh, they look a lot like us, so it's easy not to really think of them as aliens. Now, he's faced with the Chitari, with their giant biomechanoid juggernaut creatures that, uh, that they deploy their troops off of. Uh, he sees through the wormhole this this invasion force that he knows for a fact can decimate the entire planet and everything they've got on it, except for him and just a handful of other heroes, perhaps, to uh, save the day. So I think for a guy who used to be a war profiteer and who had, uh, who'd, over the course of his uh, character, became uh, aware of just what exactly that meant and having to, uh, in his opening movie to have finally gotten his hands dirty down the trenches and see what war was all about. I think that really, uh, that kind of idea shook him to his core. And I like the fact that they continued to build on that, even if it doesn't necessarily seem like the sort of thing that Tony Stark, uh, in general, as a character over his history, uh, would really fall into. I think it works for the uh, overall series of Marvel movies. So I was on board with that. That that didn't bother me. That actually kept things kind of interesting as far as his character, that everything kind of built off of that for him. Uh, Black Widow, definitely somebody who should have been experiencing something like that. Unfortunately, we don't get to see it from her. Uh, you know, there's a, a great scene, and I, I believe it's uh, – it's John Wick two or John Wick three? I think it's John Wick three, where he goes to a he goes to a Russian school where they're training 
uh, male and female assassins. You see the the females mm-hmm. yeah. um, being trained in ballet till they're bloody, whereas the men are being trained in uh, something that looks very much like Brazilian jiu-jitsu. And this is the sort of flashback we should have for Natasha. We should have seen her being mercilessly trained, you know, till her extremities are bloody and she's at the point of all exhaustion. And uh, I, I never did like the line that, like, she considered herself a monster. It, this is might not have been the intention, but this is the way it comes off. Like, oh, I consider myself a monster because they, uh, you know, they basically neutered me. It's like, no, what made you a monster is the fact that you were a, a human killing machine. That's mm-hmm. what made you a monster. Yeah. Uh, you were programmed to be a killer without thought. It's like, you know, go do this for the benefit of the state and the party. So that was a little weird. It's uh, it's it's a little platitude it, it didn't quite work. Um, I like the fact that Steve handles PTSD the best uh, because Steve is just that guy. He is that classic, iconic, super stoic American. You know, he's... He's the John Wayne. He's the the old school Clint Eastwood. He's, you know, he's all these iconic ideas of these heroes from a, a certain period in our history. So it makes sense that he's uh, he's dealing with it because for him, you know, uh, he's got to deal with it. But it's a whole world shift away. You know, like he woke up and like at the at the end of the war and he woke up and it was a whole new prosperous world. So in in a weird way, he's kind of got bigger concerns. <laughs> you know, he's he really is the stranger in the strange land. Uh, so yeah, overall thematically, uh, I like the fact that the PTSD kind of drives Tony Stark to keep doing what he does, and uh, because he's he's a guy who's always going to be driven by something, whether it's going to be by his ego whether it's going to be by his curiosity. And in this case, uh, what drives a lot of him is, uh, is fear. And it leads him to make some very terrible decisions. And that's often true in the real world as well. Now, I couldn't agree more with your point about Natasha somehow suggesting that being made sterile is what makes her a monster. Or, you know, maybe getting rid of her conscience, she wouldn't have to worry about getting pregnant or whatever mm-hmm. to help her with her killing with vaccinations. But you can't compare that to who Banner is. <laughs> and was it, you know, was it a dig at people that don't have children? I didn't quite get it. I was like, that's not, maybe what they did to you was monstrous, but that doesn't make you a monster. And so I just, that whole exchange and the whole idea of them trying to build rapport around that, I'm like, y'all dropped the ball from Winter Soldier. She built her rapport with Cap. Mm-hmm. Okay? Mm-hmm. Nowhere. And I'm like, the, the very ground that they're trying to use is common ground to form a friendship. And the other thing that bothered me about that, that I'll turn over to Nemesis, is that Natasha is too mature She's too far along in the game to do the the little girl thing of let's just run away and go wherever the wind takes us. Mm-hmm. I was like, what did she say? Now, if she had just become Black Widow and she was like 19, I'd buy that. But not at this point. Not, especially not after where we meet her in the first movie. I'm like, wait, 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 wait. She's regressing 
and going back to that young adult novel thing of, well, I'm just going to run away with this guy and that'll just make it better. I'm like, really? Are you like 25, 30? Really, Natasha? Really? It was just so juvenile. I, I, uh, I'm going to talk about that some more. Uh, go ahead, Nemesis. <laughs> yeah, I'm going I'm to hit on the Black Widow thing first, but I think um, there, there are, let me think for a second, Black Widow, Iron Man, and Cap, I think are the three main characters that I would want to hit on here with what we're talking about. I think that the, the Hawkeye storyline makes sense to me from a certain point of view. I can understand wanting to keep your family life away from whatever it is we're doing over here. I, I understand that. Um, I think it might have been handled a little bit better, but that makes sense to me. The banner stuff makes sense from a certain point of view as well. So I can, you know, I can let that one slide. So, you know, starting off with Black Widow, I, I agree with you guys that the whole line about her being monstrous because of what they did to her is very strange. And I think that all of that is in there because they were trying to force this uh, tragic love affair between her and Banner. And that helped drive this love affair story that the fact that, oh, you know, we can't be together because of this or that, you know, and, and so they needed Natasha to have a reason to to empathize and connect with Banner and feel like that they were destined to be together because they were both broken some way. And uh, I think that was really kind of a stretch. Honestly, I think, you know, this is me putting my writer's hat on for a moment. If I'm writing Natasha and I want to see her suffering for what is going on. The suffering for someone like her is when they open themselves up to being a human again. Because to be the type of character that Natasha is, to do the things that she's done, means closing yourself off of, from humanity. It means disassociating to some extent, uh, to use the, the mental health term. And so when you start to bring those parts of yourself back together, that part, those parts of your psyche back together, the guilt and the pain uh, all of a sudden hits you again and you start feeling human emotions. And that's when you start to break down. That's when you feel you're monstrous, because when you reconnect with your humanity and realize what you've done, then that can be very difficult to deal with. I mean, that can be very difficult to deal with the people that don't kill people with cold blood you know soldiers and things like that often go through the same thing um, mm -hmm. that's not necessarily ptsd but it you know you have that type of thing going on with soldiers a lot so i think that is an opportunity and a mischaracterization of black widow that they did in this movie so let's move on to, to captain america i think if anyone in this movie i'm not gonna say deserves but could have ptsd it would be Captain America, and by extension, I think a very important scene here, even though it was fun as well, was all of the World War II vets that are uh, drinking with them at the beginning of the movie in the bar. Mm. These are guys that have seen some shit, you know, excuse my language. I mean, mm. Not to take away from the Chitari and everything and the thing in New York, but going through, you know, World War II and all that went on there, I think would be more traumatizing and and cap for all the fact that he's a super soldier also fought a war i mean he did fight a, a large t for a large amount of time uh during the first movie we saw that he fought many different campaigns against the nazis 
So he's seen all that death. He's seen what's happened. And um, I think what you see with Cap is that he's very good at compartmentalizing it, putting it aside. But when he allows himself to think about it and dwell on it, you you see it, it could definitely have been expanded on. But not only does he feel bad that he is not with Peggy, but he's seeing friends that are dead. He's seeing friends that never got to have a life. You feel survivor's guilt. You feel a whole host of different things. Um, I don't think they had time to do that all that in this very crowded movie, but I think that's an element of Captain America that could have been explored. And I think that he has elements of the PTSD. I mean, there's more to it to PTSD than that. And PTSD is such a nebulous thing anyway. It, it's it's I, I'm not going to say it's a catch-all or try and belittle it, but it, it can cover so many things. I mean, I know that I can be during the 4th of July, I have a hard time because I start to smell gun smoke or gunpowder and hear pops and suddenly uh, I become hypervigilant. I'm seeing, you know, I'm hearing gunshots everywhere and stuff like that. You, some people would say that's PTSD. That to me, that's just flashing back to, you know, things that I've experienced in my past. So that's, it's a really weird thing. So then that brings me to the last person I wanted to talk about, which was Tony Stark. And Tony Stark is a very strange character for me all the way through the MCU. He started off that I I loved him in the first Iron Man movie. I liked him in the second Iron Man movie, but he started to, to grade on me a little bit. And I think this movie, uh, you know, and then I liked him in Avengers, but this movie really, to me, was the downfall or the beginning of Stark madness for me. You know, Stark becomes, Stark is narcissistic, and I don't think that that statement surprises anybody. And I think what Stark can't handle, the fear that he has is not PTSD per se, but I think it's fear because for the first time in his life, and the first time in the MCU really, Stark is confronted with a problem that he possibly can't think his way out of or engineer his way out of. And for a narcissist like Tony Stark, for a control freak like Tony Stark, that's unacceptable. And so Tony Stark, uh, I think I think it's very interesting because in some ways it mirrors what's going to go on with Wanda with this movie through the WandaVision. In order to deal with that fear, with that grief that he's going to fail and let people die and everything – He's willing to do almost anything to anyone in order not to fail the person he cares most about, which is himself. And that is really a flaw that I think that if you go back and you watch the MCU movies and Stark, especially from Age of Ultron through his death, that uh, he fails over and over again in this way. Um uh, and to his credit, because he is a hero, he eventually makes a sacrifice that kills himself. But that doesn't excuse the fact that he had a flaw, a very serious flaw, and that he was not able to accept his limitations and was willing to do things that I think are borderline evil at times in order to keep himself from feeling guilty or from failing. Well, two things on that. Number one, that's the way they characterized Tony Stark in the first Civil War, because he really did go evil. He really went totalitarian. He mm -hmm. really went my way, the highway. 
and that ruined the character. And they had to wipe his memory and like erase him and bring him back to make him mm-hmm. even sympathetic. Number one. And number two, uh, they had Captain America flip his character because at the end of Endgame, he's like, we well, always screw this. I want Peggy. Yeah, <laughs> true. So I'm like, that flips back and forth over the course of the movies from being selfless to selfish. Mm-hmm. And when it comes to his duty, he's selfless. That's who Steve Rogers was in the first Avenger. When it comes to Bucky and Peggy, it's like he gets tunnel vision. And all of a sudden, all that character just goes out of the window. But I agree completely with your assessment that this man has seen real war and everything that does to you. And so he still has, and like Bracey said, he still has that stoic, classic American John Wayne reaction, which is what I like most about the character. I don't like it when they make Cap just go the whole other direction. Uh, which leads me to my next topic. The next topic we're going to talk about is, in and of itself, characterization. And we can look at it from a geek point of view. We can do geek corner. We can look at it from a writer's point of view. We can look at it from an audience point of view, although we're all biased because we're all writers and we're all comic aficionados. So it's not like we're approaching it fresh. But uh, I'll throw out some of my thoughts. Uh, As always, I thought Captain America was well represented. He's really the heart and the anchor of the team. Cap has always been that. So I really didn't have any problems with Cap in this movie, except he, he seemed to give up on him and Natasha a little too easily. And just like, okay, well, I guess she's with Banner now. So I was like, really? And I love it when he slightly moves the hammer. That pays off later because that's the first hint that Cap really is worthy. And I love it that he's the field tactician. He's like Batman in that way. He can always come up with a plan in the middle of the action. So I really liked Captain America all the way through. And uh, the idea that he kept getting mad at, you know, Stark's, uh, once again, Stark's, you know, ignoring of the rules. Because Cap and Tony are like that in the comics. What they have not done in the movies is they have not shown Cap and Hawkeye's rivalry. Because they fight like brothers more than Cap and Tony. Because uh, Hawkeye is always busting on Cap. He's always calling him Methuselah. Always talking about how old he is. <laughs> <laughs> you, you know, he always talking about how you know we don't live in those times old man and he's you know if Hawkeye can find a chance if Clint Barton can find a chance to give Cap a good burn he will and you don't really get that in the movies Hawkeye in the movies is already closer to his Ronin persona when we meet him so because Clint Barton is wisecracking out of all the people that are supposed to be snarky it's Barton Barton is like the guy Gardner of the Avengers. So we never really see the progression from that snarky, wisecracking carnival guy into these other personas. He's kind of broody and dark and introverted when we meet Hawkeye. And I really didn't particularly care for that. Um, Yeah, he should have come across more like Chris Pratt's Star-Lord, to be honest. Yeah. Not quite that good. 
But yeah, closer not, to that. Not yeah. that goofy, but you know what I mean. Yeah, because he wouldn't be doing that stupid Michael Jackson dance off, but don't get me started. Anyway, so, um, <laughs> so Natasha, you know, I really like comic Black Widow and no slight against ScarJo. I really would have liked to see Emily Blunt in this role. If she can't be Sue Storm, she should have been Natasha Romanoff. But Natasha, we're going to have to face it. Natasha is whoever the movie needs her to be. She's one way in Iron Man 2 when we meet her. She's another way in the first Avengers. She's a young adult novel in Age of Ultron. She's just whatever. And part of that is her spy training. I can give her that. She's flexible. She's Mm -hmm. adaptable. But I think we saw some of her core in Winter Soldier. I think she made herself more vulnerable to Cap than she has anybody else because he saved her life more than once. And because she realized it was all a lie. I thought they were going to continue with that. That's my favorite version of her. But it's Mm -hmm. clearly a version because every movie she's in, she's somebody else. Uh, uh, We talked a little bit about the Maximoffs. We'll get back to them later. Uh, Maria Hill's always funny. Uh, So I'll get to the two big ones I want to talk about under here. First big one I want to talk about is Ultron. That was not Ultron. That was Spadertron as written by Weed. Written by <laughs> Weed. That's a tongue twister. But um, uh, you get used to it if you don't know any better. But Ultron, Ultron was indeed a petulant child. And for those of you that are listening that don't read comics, Ultron was created by Hank Pym. Hank Pym has, has been the biggest identity crisis character in Marvel. And he's been mentally unstable. He's been a lot of things. But you don't know any of that if you just watch the movies. So they completely changed Ultron's origin to having been created by Tony and Banner. But Ultron is not that smarmy. He was just smarmy. And I was like, you know, I like Spader. And I like Weed and Snark, you know, in, in the proper doses. But that it should have been a little bit. It doesn't have to go hardcore Borg, but it should have been a little bit more robotic like the Brainiac on Superman the Animated Series. Mm. Uh, new kids in town. First meet Brainiac, a little more robotic, a little more pragmatic, a little more matter of fact, not so willing to joke because, I, you know, it was just, I, I don't know, it just felt off to me. And it felt like, uh, I think it was Steve that said it was a try too hard, trying a little too hard to be too witty, too clever, a little too much. Mm-hmm. And I, you know, I just wasn't, I don't know, I just wasn't down with that. And the other big one I want to talk about in this movie is Banner. And the reason I want to talk about Banner in terms of characterization is I sure wish they would make up their minds. Mm. Are we... Are we dealing with Grey Hulk? Are we dealing with Green Hulk, Rage Monster? Are we dealing with Jacqueline Hyde? Are we dealing with a banner that doesn't get he's the Hulk yet? Uh, who, which Hulk, it seems like they shuffled through his persona changes from the comics so quickly. And then we're by the time we get to Ragnarok, he's Hulk all the time. And then by the time we get to... Infinity War, he's defeated easily, and then he's Professor Hulk, and I'm just like, eh, 
I just didn't like it. It felt like musical chair Hulk. I didn't like that. I'm a fan of the Rage Monster. I'm a fan of Banner losing control. I'm a fan of Bill Bixby's Hulk, where he's like, you know, you wouldn't like me when I'm angry and don't, you know, I don't want to lose control and I'm afraid of this thing inside of me coming out because we lost that. And so this movie is the last time we get even a hint of that, even a hint of it. And I also don't like the way they completely eliminated Betty Ross. She was one of my favorite parts of the Norton Hulk movie. And Thunderbolt Ross is there, so it's still the same continuity, obviously. And so I just felt like Hulk and Ultron were off, and they weren't really who they should have been, all things considered. Uh, The last one I'll hit on is Thor, but the only reason I guess Thor doesn't register with me is because by the time we get to Ragnarok, he's someone else completely. So I had to kind of emotionally divest from the character because I really, really like Thor. But this Thor has never been comic book Thor. He's never been Ultron, we would have words with thee. I'm going to punch down a wall with one punch. He's never been threatening Iron Man that, you know, don't mess with me, Tin Man. You don't know what it's like to incur the wrath of a true God of time. He's never been that guy. So I kind of emotionally disconnected from Thor a while ago. So I guess whatever he's doing, whatever, it didn't really bother me. And then uh, finally, uh, Vision. Um, the only thing I have to say about Vision is I think everything happened a little too fast. I still don't know what Vision's personality is, even after a season of WandaVision. Like, what is your personality? Still not sure. Okay. In this movie, he is a vibranium body with Ultron's brain patterns, but also Jarvis's brain patterns brought to life by Thor's lightning uh, with his specs tweaked by Tony and Banner. So he's truly like a mutt character in Age of Ultron. So I don't get where they were going with Vision. I don't know if they got it either because he doesn't have a personality. So like I said in my opening statements, the characterizations were all over the place. Some were spot on and some were just had me scratching my head. But anyway, let me hear your thoughts. Start with Nemesis, characterizations. Uh, sure. Well, I'm going to start off with uh, one of the characters, that one of the title characters, which is Ultron. I, I agree with you. I think the real failure here was that, and I think this is probably a weed failure, is that they tried to bring, they tried to weednize Ultron. And to me, the best uh, live action or cartoon version of Ultron I've ever seen was from the Young Avengers cartoon that Marvel did, uh, or the next Avengers. And uh, the Ultron in that was perfect and that he was cold, calculating, ruthless. Uh, he did have, when he did use like a sardonic wit or a witty comment or something, it was still delivered in a very cold and machine-like manner. And everything about him was about uh, accomplishing tasks in order to achieve his greater goal. And uh, just that sense of unrelenting evil uh, that could not be reasoned with, it reminded you of every 
AI that ever scared the hell out of you from the movies, you know, from Skynet to Terminator to, you know, whatever it is you want to put in there. It, it was just, you know, Borg, you know, Borg were probably more human than uh, Ultron is. So I, I think that was definitely missing from this. And I agree with your assessment on Ultron. Um, the other two characters I want to hit on, I think, are the twins, uh, Wanda and Pietro. And um, since this is going to lead into WandaVision, I'm going to start with Wanda first. My initial, when I first watched this movie, uh, I felt much differently about Wanda in this movie than I do now, after I watched WandaVision and then watched this movie again. So what do I mean by that? When I watched Wanda in this movie, when I wa- and, you know, being a person who's read the comics, hearing the name Wanda Maximoff, I expected scarlet witch and i expected a mutant well i already knew i wasn't getting a mutant but i still expected some version of scarlet witch and i got whatever she was in this movie and uh to me she was wanda maximoff not scarlet witch and so when i first watched the movie i very much hated what they had done with the character but then after watching wandavision and and I've got things to say about how her power has come to be in WandaVision, and, and I'll save that for our next podcast. But seeing that she was growing and how they retconned some of her powers and things like that, this version of Wanda is more acceptable to me now. And I wasn't expecting that. And it was very strange for me to watch this movie now and watch Wanda and then understand her growth in her powers through WandaVision. So that was, uh, that surprised me quite a bit. Contrast that then with Pietro. Pietro, I I love this character. Even when I hate this character in the comics, I love this character. And um, one, I love that he also, he often has a very biting wit. He can be sarcastic at times. I, I love all of the faults that Pietro has, but I love the the love for his sister, uh, not the love from the Ultimates. Let's not even go into that. <laughs> but uh, you know the love he has, you know, for as far as like trying to protect his sister and his devotion to his sister. I think all of that came through. I think they nerfed Pietro a little bit in this movie, but still, this version of Pietro, I enjoyed quite a bit. And so when they chose one of the two twins to kill, it just destroyed me that to me they they killed the more comic accurate and at this point at least uh, better character as far as I was concerned. I thought Pietro had more promise as a character that could be developed than Wanda did because at this point in time, I looked as Wanda as so broken and uh, so I'm, I'm, I want to say milk toast, but that's really not the word. It's just well, she was uninteresting to me in a lot of different ways. And I thought her powers had almost. Nah, that's not fair, had very little to do with what I commonly associated with the Scarlet Witch. Uh, so to me, Pietro was a much better character. His interactions, I thought, were better with the other Avengers. And so I was very disappointed when he was killed. And I still want 
a version of Pietro back at the MCU, and I don't know that I will ever get my wish. So That's interesting that it retroactively changed how you saw Wanda here, but I can't agree with you enough about his untimely death. We're going to actually talk about that in our next segment. Uh, go ahead, Bracey, with your thoughts on characterization. The characterization in this movie is very interesting. Uh, being a very long-time reader of, uh, of Avengers comics, I've got a lot to pull from. And I understand the constraints of making a movie, and you know, obviously this particular MCU universe doesn't really tie into the classic Earth-616 in the way that we understand it. So taking that, uh, you kind of got to let, you kind of got to try and roll with what you've been given and go from there. Um, now the comics, we know Ultron is both mechanically cold and brilliant, uh, coming across sometimes like the T thousand from the Terminator, uh, a character who I thought in his own way was far more scary than Arnold Schwarzenegger. But also, uh, he is a ranting madman because in the comics, he comes from the unstable brain engrams of Hank Pym, who was dealing with all sorts of crazy mental issues at the time. And so I don't mind an, uh, an Ultron that rants and raves because he does that in the comics. You know? And so he, he is his own schizophrenic personality, his own, his own Hulk, if you will, where like at one moment he's just raging and incoherent and completely illogical. And the next moment he goes into like full on data mode. Like this is the most logical way to, you know, defeat the Avengers and to destroy humanity and to wipe out all organic life. So what I took from it, from this movie uh, is because Stark made Ultron basically. I, I don't know what part Banner had to play. I know they worked on it together, all science growing up and everything, but, uh, I'm pretty sure the people, when they cast James uh, Spader, they're like, uh, and I love James Spader so much. They're like, you know, he's really hot on the blacklist right now. Uh, he was terrific in uh, The Office. And, you know, he's got a long career of being this guy who's really good at verbal delivery of uh, really catchy, kind of edgy and snarky lines. So they went into that. And so what I figured from that is, okay, uh, Tony being the narcissist he is uh, probably based a lot of Ultron's thought processes off his own brain. And so this is why this Ultron is like just uber snarky. It's not just the fact that they got James Spader, but you know, like when they, when they start to have their, uh, their great clash, when they're uh, like outside the borders of Wakanda, when they're out there in Africa and he's like, Hey, you know, what's up son? And like, hey, what you doing with all this vibranium? He's like, Oh, never mind, Dad. Let me let me just explain, my, you know, monologue my evil plan to you, and they immediately attacks him. Like, you know, it, it felt like Stark was dealing with a mirror of himself in that moment, and I think that's what they were going for. Uh, what I do miss about that sort of thing is what they gave us in the trailer. That whole monologue uh, was beautifully edited. Whoever edited the trailer is a genius. But that whole monologue, the way they did it and the way they framed up different shots of the completed Ultron, as well as the uh, uh, the, the Stark bot uh, that he starts out as. And that, that dialogue that's delivered with such dripping menace uh, by Spader, 
it reminded me in a lot of ways of the uh, the kind of missed opportunities they had with the very first Batman film where the Joker is introduced by Jack Nicholson and he has his best moment when he shoots his former boss and he's, you know, he's coming in talking about like, you know, you tried to off me over a woman. What are you crazy? And then he, you know, goes on the shooting spree, uh, just, uh, coldly maniacal before he just kind of devolves into this kind of, uh, madness, this orgy of destruction of his former employer. And I was seeing this trailer for Ultron and I wanted more of that. Uh, it was menacing, but it was also uh, weirdly enticing, you know, him quoting the Pinocchio and the relevance of that whole thing. And I, I wouldn't have mind uh, some crazy outbursts here, even a little bit of a, a snark, because there, there are certainly times where Ultron, like when he created Vision, uh, they had this whole exchange and he's like just uh, domineering and, uh, and hateful and, and petulant all in the all in the same scene in the comic books. So I would have, I would have appreciated some of that. And I know Spader could have really pulled it off if they'd, uh, if they'd gone that way of the script. So it's, uh, it's kind of disappointing because I really wanted to like Ultron a lot more. He is one of my, uh, my favorite Avengers villains and they could have done a lot more with him. Uh, as far as the Maximals, uh, honestly, both of them were kind of bland to me. Um, I understand you don't get the whole backstory with the mutants and everything. Uh, We've already discussed how they're dealing with their own PTSD issues. One thing I did miss, though, with uh, with Pietro is the fact that Pietro in the comics is so arrogant. Uh, being fast is one of the best superpowers you can have when you can just act and react a hundred thousand times quicker than everybody else. You know, this it makes you almost unstoppable. And Pietro realizes this, you know, he, he gives out some little jokes here and there. And, um, uh, what's the guy's name? Aaron Eckhart. Who plays him? I, I don't think he really had the, uh, the prop. Was it? Johnson. Okay. Yeah. Uh, I don't think he, and, and I, I don't know. I don't necessarily fault him because it's again, uh, part script, part direction, you know, movies are a collaborative effort. But I don't think he quite had the uh, the edge for that sort of thing, and uh, I hate to throw it out to there, like, but like uh, Evan Peters, who played Pietro in the X Men movies, um, I know he's a different sort of character, but I look at the work uh, Peters has done on things like American Horror Story, and I know for a fact he could have brought the edge, and, uh, and maybe the fellow could have too if he was given the opportunity, but like a. Uh, uh, Pietro, uh, again, uh, it's kind of interesting thing about the levels between um, some of these characters uh, with the Jekyll and Hyde with Ultron. Uh, Pietro is also somebody dealing with a, a vast amount of anger uh, in the course of his life in comics and should have been in the movie as well. Uh, so there's another parallel between him and the Hulk and, you know, all the PTSD, all these characters are going through all these issues. And I would have liked to have seen that anger uh, fueled arrogance and uh, just belittling of characters because I'm so much better than all of you because none of you can touch me. I really would have liked to have seen that sort of thing happen. So, uh, uh, you know, I think the movie could have, I, I'm glad they introduced the characters, but honestly, the, the movie didn't need Wander and Pietro. It really didn't need them. It could have all been about Ultron. 
but uh, I can see why they put it in there because I'm sure they wanted to put some characters with like some human faces in there for the audience to respond to and react to and have some sympathy with on that side of things. And plus they're just classic Avengers characters. Um, yeah, Thor, Thor stopped being Thor after, uh, Thor two, basically (laughs) he was, he was never really full on Thor. So let's pass on with that. Uh, Hulk, Hulk, actually, uh, you made an interesting, yeah. Uh, yeah, by Thor three, Thor is over. So it's, yeah, it, it was a fun and funny movie, but it's not a Thor movie. Um, the Hulk suffers from the same problem Natasha does. The Hulk is whatever they decide they need the Hulk to be in each movie. And so the Hulk never really gets any character progression. If you look at the various movies, all the biggest things that happen in the Hulk's life always happen off screen. We never really see what changes Hulk. We get like a little glimpse here when he goes uh, berserk under Wanda's power. And we get a moment where like he's looking out and seeing all the destruction he's caused, all the pain and the fear. Uh, when he and Tony have their big Titanic fight in the uh, Veronica, a.k.a. Hulk Buster armor, which was uh, pretty epic. But we never really. Uh, uh, I like Norton's Hulk so much better because we actually got to spend some time. We got to see Norton develop the character. We got to see the Hulk go through changes. I don't know what Ruffalo can do, uh, per se. I, I liked I liked his Hulk a lot in the first Avengers movie. I thought he was getting to do some fun things. I liked his kind of, uh, uh, he wasn't sardonic. He wasn't like smarmy as much as he had sort of a, a little bit of a sarcastic anger. I like the, I like the scenes like, Oh my God, are you guys going to put me on a submarine? And then he finds out they're on a helicarrier. He's like, Oh no, this is much, much worse. He's just thinking about like the Hulk knocking this whole thing out of the sky. Great moment there. But you, uh, you don't really get to see uh, a proper development of the character. Like, uh, Everything is happening with him off screen. Like, oh, how does Natasha get to like, hey, come here, big boy. The sun has the sun down. It's like, when when did this get developed? Oh, it, it happened off screen. So we don't know about it. There's a big rule in film. If it's not in the frame, it doesn't exist. Later on, when we get to uh, uh, Sakaar uh, and Hulk, you know, and um, or three, Hulk's talking. Why is he talking? We don't know. We don't know. We're never giving it. We never seen this character evolution. So uh, I don't know. Maybe it's because they can't make a solo Hulk movie because the rights are tied up in the universe. But we never get any development. And what we do get is uh, just truncated awfully. And it's it's all uh, just plot convenient and kind of worthless. It's a it's a sad exploration of the character because there's really no exploration, in my opinion. Uh, before I turn it over to Steve, uh, for those of you that don't read comics, the vision you know is not comic book vision. Comic book vision originally was definitely created by Ultron to infiltrate the Avengers. His uh, body was the body of the original android human torch from the invaders in World War II, which is why his skin is red. It was a bit of a nod to that. Mm-hmm. He did. He didn't have the Mind Stone, and his brain patterns were engrams from Wonder Man, uh, uh, which was another character that they didn't quite know what to do with. But uh, that's who Vision was in the comics when we first meet him. He's an infiltrator, and then he grows a conscience and actually turns against 
Ultron. Uh, so that part they got right. But the movie vision is a completely different kind of thing. Okay, go ahead, Steve, on characterization. Okay, yeah, there's a lot to cover with this. I'll try to hit the high points. Um, as the, I will start with the thing that keeps bothering me about this movie, and that is Natasha and Banner. <laughs> Everything <laughs> wrong with this movie is Natasha and Banner because the two do not make sense. Uh, I completely agree that it should have been Natasha and Captain America. Those two had a lot more going on. I felt they balanced each other out better. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and it just doesn't feel uh, natural either that Cap would just say, yeah, you can go ahead and have her, um, or um, that Banner and Natasha would have gotten together at all. I mean, I could see a friendship growing between them uh, based on, on certain things, but I cannot see uh, them being a couple in any meaningful way, and it drags down the entire movie, and there are things that do not make sense. Um, I will say with Hulk specifically, it has been a massive disappointment and, and the thing is, is I come from a different perspective than DT does. Um, I got into the Hulk through the Peter David comics. Um, <laughs> and so for me, the Hulk is this psychological mess. Uh, Bruce Banner, in my eyes, is a fractured personality, a multiple personality. Um, and all of these different sides of himself uh, basically become these Hulk personalities. And he's acting out his issues in various ways, um, you know, through through the Hulk. Um, and, and I feel like the Hulk that I want to see is one that would not work on film because he's too complex to be shown in these movies. And oh, my God, does these movies show that because, you know, they're, they're go all over the place. I don't feel like there is a consistent vision, uh, no pun intended, with with Hulk. And um, I just don't get the sense that anybody knows what to do with him at any given point. He needs a proper TV show. If you want to talk about a character who needs a TV show from Disney Plus, it is the Hulk because he definitely has the makings uh, of a character whose depth can actually be explored there. But it doesn't seem like they're even interested. They're more interested in his cousin than they are in him. Um, and in this particular movie, I just feel like they all of that is the case, too. And um, I'll also add one other thing that really bugs me about um, w- the whole relationship they try to give Betty Ross's role to Natasha. Um, the whole business about, oh, sun's coming down. You know, that's Betty Ross's job. Yeah. So this is what she normally does. She's the one who reaches out to the Hulk and all of that. But we never saw that relationship build with him and Natasha. So we're, we don't believe this. Um, and plus, Natasha is not the same character as Betty. Um, you know, Betty is somebody who is more open. Um, you know, open-minded. Uh, she's the one who sees who Bruce really is deep down. I never got that from Natasha at all. Uh, so on so many different levels, it doesn't work. Uh, although I will add, every time I hear the sun is coming down, I keep thinking of the line from Ewing's Immortal Hulk, Night is His Time. <laughs> so it's like, okay, the sun's coming down. You're only helping him. What are you doing? So yeah, that, 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 that's one of those things that gets me. Um, but yeah, so that's one of the things that I thought that uh, Natasha herself was absolutely wasted. Um, I, there was so much stuff with the Red Room that they could have explored, and instead they're just wasting her time on Banner. And it's just it's an, a classic case of what's called strangling the, with the red string. Um, so you know we never see either of them um, explore the, the way that they were. On top of that, there are plot holes that comes from this completely stupid uh, romance arc. Uh, like why in the world did, did Ultron not kill Black Widow when he had the chance? Um, after taking her prisoner or when doing that. 
not explained. And the only reason that she was taken prisoner is that, uh, you know, you can have that scene with her alone with Banner. And it was a complete waste of time. Why is that there? So stupid. Um, so, yeah, that to me is the worst part of the movie in, in many respects. Um, Ultron, I, I, I get what you guys are saying about Skynet, but I don't think of Skynet when I think of Ultron. Um, I don't know if you guys have read this story, uh, you know, but there is a, a, a classic short story by Harlan Ellison called I Have No Mouth and I Must Scream. Um, oh, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So we're talking about a, the supercomputer um, in a post-apocalyptic world uh, that is called Am. And he has an entire diatribe about how much he actively hates humanity and wants them all dead. And and this computer takes tor- um, joy in torturing the last five remaining humans that are alive, um, you know, th- th- because that's like the only way it can, you know, it can pass time <laughs> is by causing pain to these people. I think Ultron has that same or should have that same level of hatred for humanity. Um, on top of that, I really feel that... Um, you know, because of he's so messed up because of um, he was created by Pym or I guess you can apply that to Stark, too. But I think a lot of it is he hates humanity because he hates his creator and he hates the part of himself that is his creator. And he's just trying to destroy it at, by inch by inch every way he can. And he can never do it. And he is never happy uh, because part of him will always be the creation of a of a race of people he despises. Um, and that that I think is really fascinating. Um, I think they tried in this movie to make an interesting version of Ultron, even if it wasn't the comic book version. The thing is, is I think if it were a new character and not Ultron, I would have liked this character a lot because I actually think that mm. his 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 ideology is interesting. Um, you know, his personality is interesting. Um, it's just not the Ultron from the comics, <laughs> um, and and he doesn't have uh, the same origin from the comics. I mean, they had to make him make Tony Stark the creator instead of Tank, which kind of sticks a little in my craw as a purist, but okay, um, and all of that. So I I I don't hate Ultron uh, this version of it. I just don't think that he's he's just very weedonized, as you guys have been saying. Um, you know, it's you know, it's interesting is your description of Ultron. Just reminded me, I just watched uh, Alien Covenant for the first time last night, yeah. and you're basically describing David from Alien yes. Covenant. Yeah, 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 as well. So, Which would yeah. have been, yeah. Yeah, so you can definitely see how that could work for a character like Ultron, but it it's just we don't see that there. It's more that, okay, um, I think that, you know, you, you had the right idea, it's just that uh, I'm going to take it a step further, and I'm going to protect the world and create make, create peace in our time by destroying humanity, and then there's peace. That's an interesting ideology. I, mm. I really think it would be interesting. I just don't know that Ultron is the right character to use that with. Um, but I thought that that, that, that was interesting. Um, yeah, the Maximoffs were totally wasted. Um, yeah, Pietro is so much more interesting in the comics. And I and the weird thing is, is that Pietro is a very Whedon-like character. Um, you know, he's the kind of character that where that kind of snark works. Um, and if you've read Peter David's X Factor run, um, you definitely, or at mm-hmm. least the first one for sure, um, you definitely see that coming out. Um, there is an an, an, an issue uh, where they go to therapy, and um, this is like my favorite Quicksilver moment, <laughs> where where he's sitting down with Leonard Sampson, you know, talking about his issues, um, which is which is uh, called Pietro Maximoff syndrome for, or PMS, um, and because <laughs> of it's a tendency to be high-handed and arrogant. It is it is hilarious. 
Um, but the real point that came out of it, I thought was interesting um, that I wish had been in this movie is this is the reason why he's arrogant is because everyone around him in his world is slow as molasses and he can't stand it. Um, you know, there's a whole point where, you know, he's uh, putting together this jigsaw puzzle uh, and trying to show him that. And to him, it's like, er imagine a world where everybody is uh, basically uh, in a long line trying to get to the ATM and you're sitting through that and you're, and you want to move uh, quicker than everyone else. And you can. Uh, so, so this is kind of what was missing from this character. Um, I did like the, the 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 Fox version. I think a little bit better than this version of Pietro, but this one was more technically comics accurate. It's just that we because there's so much in this movie and there's no time to get to everything. This version of Pietro kind of gets shafted uh, and doubly shafted because he gets killed uh, and then triply shafted in one division. Yeah. Um, so. So yeah, this this character gets no respect, and it's a shame because he really is awesome, or or and can be in the right hands. Um, Wanda, I think uh, I would agree with Nemesis on this. She was handled much better in WandaVision, and retroactively makes this version more interesting because you get to see um, where she started, and a lot of the stuff they refer to in WandaVision um, is from Age of Ultron. So you you can definitely see that character forming. And you can definitely see hints of things before, like the idea that I was mentioning earlier that she forces her own views on other people with her powers and she doesn't really think about the ethics of it. She just does what she feels in the moment. Um, and that that comes through. So things like this. So she's kind of interesting in the potential in this movie, but we didn't see that potential until much later um, in this show. Uh, so this is kind of like the, the, the larger issue with this. It's like there are a lot of things that are really good. Um, Cap is great. Um, I think that, you know, Iron Man is generally, you know, eh, you could see him going kind of starting to go down the dark side with this movie and then it kind of gets worse later. Um, and I agree with, with Nemesis. He's absolutely a narcissist. Absolutely. Always has been. Um, he's a self-destructive egotist. Um, all, all of this is true. Uh, but, you, you know, you, but the idea is, is that he's basically trying not to be that guy. And, you know, sometimes he succeeds and sometimes he doesn't. But, this, this film, I think, um, plays with some interesting ideas, doesn't quite get there uh, in that. Four is wasted, and some of it's not Whedon's fault. Um, part of I, I distinctly remember that one of the reasons why Thor uh, ended up going to the Infinity Well, or whatever the heck it was called, um, the, you know, the, the, the Well of Mirrors or whatever it was, was because the uh, he was told to do that. He did not want to write Thor in that situation. So because of that, we get Thor written out um, and he's not given as much to do as any of the others, which is a shame because otherwise everybody else has something to do, even if what they have to do is not always good. Um, so, yeah, there, there's that. Um, Hawkeye, I, I agree, uh, DT. I prefer the classic version of Hawkeye. The thing the thing is, is like we don't see the carnival version. We don't see the guy, you know, who's who's gruff and, you know, in Cap's face and. You know, the guy who is, you know, all about self-improvement and trying to prove how, that he's better than everybody else. Um, that's that's the Hawkeye that I find interesting because I liked him with the Thunderbolts and the West Coast Avengers. And I wanted to see, you know, him become uh, start from that point and then become the guy that he needs to be later to be a, a team leader type character, which was his natural arc in the comic. Uh, we don't see that, though, because they turn him into this completely different character. And I, I think that Jeremy Renner does what he can with it. But it's just the writing isn't serving the character the way it should be. And he's not as fun as he should be. And that's really, really a shame. 
Um, oh, that's that's because this one's clearly stout off the ultimate Hawkeye and not yeah. the classic Hawkeye. Yeah, and that's a shame. I mean, I, I just don't didn't think that I don't like the Ultimates in general, so um, that's kind of like my bias showing, I think. But yeah, so yeah, all I, all in all, I mean, I don't hate um, the way that most of the characters have been handled. I mean, there's certainly some that have been uh, very well handled. Uh, Vision, I will say, um, I have a slightly different view of him. I think his whole thing is that he's a philosopher. Um, he's somebody who has a kind of a naive view because, as he says, he was born yesterday. Uh, so he has not been alive long enough uh, for humanity to contaminate him. So he's somebody who's, I think, on some level is trying to see the best in people um, just because he's never had that experience of being completely crushed. Um, and he has all this knowledge that he gets because he was Jarvis and because he has all these things. Um, so I, I really think that he's somebody who is a well-meaning person. Um, who is trying to understand humanity, who likes humanity. And I think he connects with the Avengers uh, because he thinks they represent the best in humanity. And that's why he's with them. But we don't see that actually explored in the movies and, and that, that is, or in WandaVision even. And that's kind of a problem. Um, I think he is handled better in that show though. But um, uh, I, that's just kind of like how I'm kind of um, headcanoning him, but it could be that, that maybe um, the MCU people and Feige have a different idea of who he should be. But um, all in all, I thought that um, it's just that this show, this movie had so much to do in such a relatively little time. And there's been so many cooks in the broth, so many bad decisions. And um, while and the good and the good is really, really good. And the bad is really, really bad. All right. For those of you, once again, that don't read comics, the ultimate version of Wanda and Pietro are indeed siblings, but they are romantically and sexually involved. And it's disgusting. Oh, <laughs> You've uh, heard me say over and over and over again on this podcast and on Twitter, I do not understand the obsession with incest with these writers. I just don't, I don't, there's no part of me that understands that. And so I, I, I don't get it. But yeah, they make Wanda and Pietro like a couple, like a real couple. And Wolverine watches them hook up, and Wolverine might be their dad, and, it, and it's just, it's just a trip. So yeah. one thing I'm glad about is that they didn't go there. And then Wanda steps out done. on Wanda steps out on Pietro with a robot that isn't Vision. <laughs> it's just a weird version. <laughs> it's weird stuff going on, man. It's uh, just weird. Yeah. When we get to Wanda Vision, we're gonna talk. about talk about like robosexuality because <laughs> holy cow lando's hooking up with droids wanda falls in love with a droid that's a whole thing um we'll talk about that a little before we finish this pod because uh but anyway i'll get to that in a minute um we're going to take a quick five minute break and we're going to come back and do the rest of the movie so let's take a break here we'll let you listen to some other things from our sponsors you can find out what other things we have going on on united capes podcast network and we will be back in five. Beyond the world of DC and Marvel, there is a world that opens the imagination in ways that you've never known. The world of indie comics is here, with comic books that you didn't even know existed. Thanks to Dodgy, Al Mega, and the random dude Josh, you too will have your eyes open to new books in the indie comic universe. 
Check out Flipside Focus only on the Undercover Capes Podcast Network. And we're back. We're going to finish our movie review of Age of Ultron. We're going to go on to our next theme. Our next theme is going to be death. Yeah, real upbeat there. Uh, Two uh, two deaths in the movie I want to talk about is Pietro's and Ultron's. Uh, First, let me say, however, I agree so completely that Pietro, especially from the comics, is so much more of an interesting character. This movie tells us what's going to happen from now on because it is literally all about Wanda from this point forward. And I was really hoping we were going to get that kind of attention given to all the characters, but it's all about Wanda from this point forward. And so it kind of sets a tone and that continues through WandaVision. Uh, And I'm not still not quite sure how I feel about that. It feels like the other characters have been shortchanged in favor of her uh, because they got her to crazy town so fast because that took years, decades in the comics. But anyway, so I want to talk about death. Uh, I want to talk about Pietro's death. Can I say out of all the weedenisms that I hate, this is the one I hate the most. The fact that he's got to kill somebody in every movie. Mm-hmm. I can't stand it. I can't stand it. I'm so tired of this trope. I do not know what to do. And the way that Pietro was killed in uh, Age of Ultron was so bogus, so ridiculous. A speedster killed by bullets, really? Really? He could have moved Hawkeye and the kid out of the way. He could have been on the other side of town before the first bullet even struck. He could have done so much. He could have vibrated. Remember earlier in the movie, they show him watching a bullet go in slow motion? on him catching it and putting it down eating a bar of chocolate so this is one of the most ridiculous deaths i've ever seen and it's just because whedon has to has to stick it to you in some kind of way now allegedly did you hear me say allegedly (laughs) you know this is the way he was on certain sets as well uh maybe having allegedly did you hear me say allegedly a bit of mm-hmm. a sadistic streak, but it certainly comes through in his writing, and I'm so tired of it because I love so many of his shows, but this is, you can count on this, and this was not necessary. That's the thing. Uh, to put on my writer's hat, anytime you can lift a scene or a plot point out of the movie and it's the same movie, then it's extreme. that as writers or as film directors, but it's true. You can lift out Banner and Natasha. Nothing about the movie changes. Literally nothing. So that means it wasn't necessary. Well, I've been thinking ever since I saw this movie, what happens if Pietro lives? He joins the new round of Avengers that Captain America and Natasha are going to train. And, and that's it. I mean, you know, we see want to have that breakdown. But she was going to have that breakdown anyway. We know what happens in uh, Infinity War and Endgame. That would have been enough for me. Their parents plus Vision would still be enough to make me buy Crazy Wanda. We didn't need this too. And I'm just, there's nothing about this death that I liked. I just despise it on every level. 
and uh, you know, oh, uh, I just Ultron to death. If you know anything about the comics, you can't kill Ultron. Ultron always comes back because in the comics they write it to where you can't kill his consciousness. He will always reform and reconstitute in a stronger body. That's kind of his thing. So I'm expecting that to happen in the MCU at some point. The one thing I didn't understand at the end was how they're all training their weapons on him and the big Avengers main theme music is playing and it's all dramatic and melodramatic and epic. Iron Man, Repulsor Rays, Vision, Mindstone Beam, Thor Lightning, everybody's bearing down. He's about to disintegrate, didn't they? I'm like, what? I was like, what? what, what, what? I didn't even understand that. I like, that makes no sense. And it doesn't make sense when Vision is having the conversation with, quote, unquote, the last one, and he says, you're the last one. Ultron doesn't work that way. You can't kill his consciousness. You can destroy all the bodies you want. He's not going to go anywhere but into the ether that he's coming back. So I have to say that the death in this movie was handled poorly and not really necessary. Uh, I would have rather seen some hint that Ultron was coming back as kind of a wink to the future than leaving the impression that this was it, because this is not it. No way this is it. And we don't lose anything if Pietro doesn't die. That's the thing. Movie's still the same. We can still end up with Crazy Wanda. We might have had a little bit, a little bit more time with "Quote unquote normal Wanda." I mean, I just, I just did not see the point of it. So let me hear your thoughts on those deaths. Start with Steve. Yeah, I, I'm inclined to agree, especially with Quicksilver. My God, what a waste! Uh, there, there was so much potential with this character, and it never allowed to blossom because we don't have him for long enough. Um, and and it's like uh, I already kind of talked about, you know, everything that I really love about Quicksilver um, that we didn't get to see. And, you know, all of this is just cut short because Wheaton has this tendency, you know, to kill off characters for tragedy. Now, I will say there have been times when I have liked it, um, but not here. And I will say I like the, the way that they handled Coulson's death in the first one um, did work because it had a purpose. It brought the team together. Um, and, we, and we didn't even really lose Coulson because we got him back uh, for Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. So, you know, it was one of those things where... Okay, that narratively made sense. It seemed like uh, because everything about this movie has to be balls to the wall, um, you know, go to the extra mile from the first movie. You know, we're not just going to have one death. We're going to have two deaths and we're going to make these deaths bigger. And it's just no, 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 no. Um, We don't even really get to know Pietro long enough to really care um, enough. Uh, about his death other than to be annoyed as comics fans because we didn't get to see the Quicksilver on the screen that we wanted to. Um, And it's doubly so uh, worse when you consider that at the same time you had the Fox Quicksilver going on um, in those movies and he was uh, much, much more interesting and he was allowed to have more cool moments, Um, you know, particularly with with him wearing the rush shirt, you know, trying to save everybody from the X-Mansion at super speed. I mean, he got all those moments down and he was a more fun character, even if he wasn't our Quicksilver. Um, And that's why, you know, Evan Peters is so popular and, and, and why the whole thing in WandaVision, you know, went down the way it did and why the expectations were what they were, because we liked that version. And the uh, Johnson Pietro never was allowed to have that. And, th- and that's to me is absolutely a waste. Um, 
there definitely have been other times uh, as well with 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 Whedon where uh, the tragedy um, has worked. Um, you might, you know, gnash your teeth at Wash's death, but I will say it was a powerful and expected moment. Mm. But, you know, I, I but I also get the angle of, well, that was a waste, too. <laughs> um, you know, it, it, he just seems to like, you know, sticking the knife into the viewer, um, you know, just to play on those expectations and then to twist it uh, to cause like emotional reactions in people. I think he likes doing that. But I, I just feel like it worked with Coulson. It did not work here. Um, Ultron, yeah. I mean, come on. You, you expect that he's going to come back. It's like, you know, Terminator. It's like Skynet. You know, just a little bit, a piece of him gets away. He's going to come somewhere else. You know, maybe a little bit out of, of got him out, uh, went out in the net. Maybe, you know, there's a robot, you know, shell that somebody finds and they rebuild him. You know, it, it always happens because that's Ultron and that always happens. So, I mean, that that really, I kind of like shrugs. It, it, it's, it's who the character is and it's not a big deal. But it's just... I, I, I'm just kind of tired of death being used um, in superhero media the way that it is, because, um, you know, so on rare occasions you get a death that works. And then a lot of other times you get deaths that are stupid, that deprive us of characters we love and can't see again. Um, and it's for reasons that are spurious and don't add anything to the story. And, and that, I think, is like the worst part. It's like, what does Quicksilver's death do? What does it add? Okay, it makes um, Wanda sadder than she already would have been if Vision hadn't died. I, 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 I don't know. No, absolutely no. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it doesn't add anything at all. Go ahead, Nemesis. Yeah, I, I think I'm going to build on, on something Steve said there in that um, – the whole idea of death in superheroes, I mean, there was a time when uh, the deaths of of heroes or villains was was very rare. I mean, in the comics and, um, you know, and then there were a couple deaths that happened and then it just seemed to be the vogue, the thing that was in vogue to do. And then the movies came along and suddenly it was people were dying right, left and center. It's like there had to be a death in every movie. And and as much as I like these movies, it started with that very first uh, Batman 89 where they killed off the Joker. And it just progressed from there. You know, Danny DeVito's Penguin got killed. And, uh, you know, at least they let Catwoman get away. And then I won't talk about those other movies and bat nipples and everything <laughs> else. But, um, you know, so and you know, it went from there. And and the one thing I do have to say, among the many good things to say about this film of uh, the the Dark Knight, was um, that at least they let Heath Ledger's Joker live. And we also know that the Scarecrow lived from the first movie. So even though we never saw Heath Ledger's Joker again, and we barely saw the Scarecrow. We knew that they existed with this this Gotham, and it was creating this world. And that is my one complaint about all of these superhero movies, about all of these MCU movies, is that so often they just off the villain at the end of the movie. And so this rich history that they're building the MCU is they're detracting from it by saying that all of the the villains, this this history of animosity we could have, you know, it's like. What if, uh, for instance, Ronan the Accuser was still out there harboring a grudge against uh, uh, Peter Quill? You know, what if 
uh, from, you know, Loki is still alive. Let, let me think of an example. What if, um, you know, they let, uh, what's his name? Uh, Cross, who was. Uh, Crossbones. Uh, Crossbones. Yeah, that's one. But also uh, Cross, uh, his last name is Cross, and he played the uh, Yellow Jacket. And uh, Darren Cross. Oh. Yeah, you know, Darren Cross. What what if he was still out there? You know, what if they had let, um, st- you know, some version of Hydra still out there and kick it around? They may be. I don't know. But, you know, I think that they, they do themselves a disservice, you know. And then when heroes start falling as well, it, it just it cheapens the whole thing, you know, and it becomes a, a, a time where we don't even really buy into it. And it just seems to be a shtick to try and get some quick tears or to get an emotional hit in a movie, you know, because we now know half the time that when a hero dies, and even most of the time when a villain dies, they're going to show up, you know, a couple issues later or a couple movies later, one way or the other, you know, to the point where, and I know we're talking about Age of Ultron here, but, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to get DT and Steve going here. Uh, BVS, where we break out the death of Superman way too early, Mm -hmm. you know, and for what? What did we do it for? Just for effect. We didn't earn it at all. It didn't really mean anything at all. And sure enough, Superman was back in the DCEU a movie later. The next movie Mm -hmm. he possibly could have been in, he was back. So what, what did we really achieve? And so I think Steve's point is really well taken here is that I think it's just overused. I just don't think that it's unique to Whedon. Whedon definitely likes to do it and everything he does, but I think it's all too common in the comic genre, Mm -hmm. and I don't think it's necessary because we survived for a long time in comics where it was very rare, and when it did happen, it shocked us to the core, to the point where Superman dying was on the cover of Time magazine. And now it's at a point in comics where, okay, they'll be back uh, in a few months and somebody will resurrect them. Who cares? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah, that's a very true thing to you. The death of Captain Marvel, superhero dying from cancer. That was an unparalleled story when it first hit a long time ago, but the impact. And then they treated the death of Superman in the comics like it was a real event. Like they stopped printing the comics and was all on the radio. It was deep when they did that. That was really something. Well, it is very, very commonplace. Just like, like, hold home, they'll be back, whatever, next. Uh, go ahead, Bracey. on this uh, I understand his motive uh, I've read it before in like a, or I've seen some of his interviews and, and Buffy for instance uh, his rationale was like well you know Sunnydale's on a hell mouth you can never really have a happy ending on a hell mouth I was like alright I buy that um, he's also said that if, if there aren't stakes then you know if you know the Scooby gang or you know whatever projects he's working on at the time if you know the heroes are always going to survive, then, you know, it, it gets to be a little bit stale, a little bit cliche. Um, if you sometimes you got to do more than threaten them. Sometimes you do have to kill off the character. Uh, I hated the loss of Wash. Absolutely hated it. 
but I thought it was an effective moment in the Serenity film. I, I thought it, I thought it did sort of serve its own purpose, and that's the thing. the The character death, as Nemesis so rightly pointed out, needs to serve the story. It needs to serve a purpose. Back in the day, um, when Superman died, that was a that was a huge thing, and I thought. Uh, my hope was is they would continue by finding out that Lois Lane was pregnant and now uh, Superman Jr., if you will, is is raised by all the other heroes of the world to try and live up to the icon that was his father. Uh, Jean Grey sacrificed herself because she realized she was potentially a threat, uh, if not to the world, to perhaps the galaxy, maybe even the universe at large. Um you know, uh, when character death used to really mean something, it used to be a traumatic event. Uh, Spider-Man won't kill the Green Goblin after he's killed Gwen Stacy, the love of his life. And yet by his own machinations, the Green Goblin is slain. And uh, that was huge. And so like, when they bring the Green Goblin back in the 2000s, I absolutely loathe that decision. Uh, I think it, it cheapens the whole arc, the way bringing Palpatine back uh, cheapen the arc of the new Star Wars films in one of the main ways that happened uh, because it just completely uh, it, it just wiped away everything that uh, Luke Skywalker and Darth Vader did, especially in that final uh, moment in the movies. Uh, so, yeah, character death. I'm OK with character death uh, as long as it serves a story, as long as it means something. Uh, but let's face it. Quicksilver getting shot to death is the dumbest damn thing ever. <laughs> I mean, yeah, it's it's just nonsensical. It it doesn't add anything to the story. There's no real impact. And those of you who like don't even you're not even initiated to comic books. You're watching this movie where this guy can move at such ridiculous speeds and he gets shot of all things. You know, if you want to hit him with something, he cannot run. Uh, have Ultron fire like a ray beam at him. He's not faster than the speed of light. You know, something like that. Uh, it just, uh, it, it's not even worth talking about. You guys have said enough on that. Uh, the, the Pietro thing, uh, sadly, uh, a wasted opportunity of a really great character. On the converse side, uh, Ultron's death, I found very interesting in a way. Um, I didn't like the little throwaway line because we all know Ultron comes back. He's an AI. He jumps from one machine to another until another until he can build himself again. And they had to have this one little throwaway line to, to to fix that. It was like, oh, Vision, you've shut me out of the Internet. Oh, wow. Wasn't that convenient? Nice to know that Vision was able to do that. <laughs> Even though we've I know I know we had this sort of like pseudo discussion about like, you know, the only reason Ultron wasn't able to get all the launch codes is because Jarvis was uh, working at cross purposes against him in the Internet before becoming the Vision. But like, uh. Yeah, that wasn't well defined. And again, that's the fault of this uh, three serial movie being jammed into one film is basically what the, the problem is there. So even given that little caveat, I've got to say that um, I found Ultron's motivation initially kind of odd when he dies, when you think Wanda's killing him. Because he's he's already demonstrated that he's going to wipe out all all life on Earth. You know, and here's Wanda, you know, in a rage over her brother, and she's basically pulling out of his heart with her hex powers. 
And he's like, you know, Wanda, don't, you know, you'll die too. And it's like, well, what do you care? You're going to wipe out all life on earth, man. So I, I didn't get that, but the, the far better, far more poignant, far more interesting and moving scene was actually where the vision finds the supposedly last Ultron. And, uh, it's actually a very beautiful moment the way it's set up with them on the hill in nature. Uh, Ultron is in a another battered robot form, so this uh, circles back to his uh, first appearance uh, in Stark Tower, which I thought was some nice symmetry there. So he's he's all broken up and he has kind of the, the classic Ultron face uh, once again because his uh, that, that that metal has been ripped away to form uh, Ultron's iconic grin as it was on the first Stark robot. And, uh, you know, they're, they're sitting there in the midst of nature. These two technological beings are sitting there in the midst of nature, far away from all this devastation. There's this golden sunlight shining through. So you, you get this sort of impression of new things and yet, you know, somebody's about to die here and they have this, uh, uh, really, uh, really moving little philosophical discussion about the nature of humanity and life and uh i really 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 love that moment you know there's that that whole thing where you know he's telling vision he's naive and he's like you know they're doomed and you know vision agrees yes they are but that doesn't make a thing less beautiful and uh paul bettany uh is so good in that moment and james spader with just his voice of course and whatever mocap they were doing uh so it's my hope that when um, Ultron charges Vision and they pull back and all we see is the flash to cut the scene, it's my hope that maybe because there was nothing else available to them if he was shut off from the World Wide Web, that somehow Ultron has invaded the Vision program and will eventually manifest uh, in Vision's body at some point. That would be a great way to bring the character back before he can reconstitute a uh, a body of his own so that's my hope for things but uh i really like that scene a lot as you can probably tell uh i think the line is just because something ends doesn't mean it's not beautiful or just because something won't last forever something like that but yeah yeah, yeah it is a great line go ahead steve uh, can yeah, I think I already talked about uh, Ultron. Yeah. Oh, Steve, be oh, Nemesis, did everybody go? Yeah. Everybody went except Nemesis. Did Nemesis? Did you go? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I was the, right. I was the last one up. You got oh, me. Okay. All right. Okay. Okay. I thought we missed everybody. Okay. All right. Good. 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 Okay. All right. Then uh, we can wrap it up. I just have uh, one more theme uh, we want to explore, <clears throat> and the theme I want to explore finally is the theme of transition and this is what i mean by that at the end of the movie we get something that does not really fully pay off in civil war we get the distinct impression that this is a new team it's just natasha and steve and these new recruits because everybody else is going their own way or whatever but it doesn't really totally feel like that to me i don't know i mean they're there but, uh, you know, and of course we get that Wheaton tease of Avengers Assemble, but he doesn't really say it. But 
every Marvel movie is designed, especially in the first three phases, because they're all leading to Thanos, obviously, to set up the next thing. But what I want to know is, how do you feel about the transition to the new team members? Did you have that sense of awe and wonder looking at the new group? Because I really didn't. First of all, Wanda looked really funny. You notice when she she doesn't almost even look like Elizabeth Olsen. I was like, what did they do to her makeup or hair or something? She looked really funny. She just didn't look like herself. But uh, seeing that new team, I don't know if it was supposed to fill us with an anticipation or I wasn't sure. But I was like, without the core four, it still doesn't feel like the Avengers to me. Um, and I know they transitioned very fast in the comics. I know that. We knew that Hulk wasn't going to hang around forever. And we still didn't get Giant Man and the Wasp. We got, you know, second generation Ant-Man in Civil War, but we never really see Hank Pym and Janet Van Dyne take their rightful place again once a you Once again, those of you that are not comic readers, they were part of the original team. We never get that. So, you know, how are you feeling like when everything ended? Like, did you feel hopeful? Did you feel angry? Did you feel like you wanted more? Did Because I did not feel like, man, I can't wait to see this new team. I was like, man, you know, what's going to happen next? I don't know. You know, I, I don't know. I was feeling somewhat ambivalent. And that is not how I thought I would feel at the end of such an intense and dense and action-packed movie. But I really was. I was really feeling like, uh, uh, okay. So it almost felt like to me if we didn't get another Avengers movie, I would have been cool with that. If we just got two, I would have been fine. Because Captain America Civil War is really Avengers 3. I don't care mm-hmm. what people say. That's the third Avengers film. And then we go into Infinity War or whatever, but... So tell me how you felt at the end of it all. Start with Bracey. Yeah, I, I got to say, my feelings mirrored yours. Uh, even though uh, there's a number of these characters I, I like, uh, I, I, you know, I didn't realize it at the time until you mentioned it, but uh, I didn't see that last scene, and I, I wasn't thinking like, oh, man, I cannot wait till Avengers 3. Uh, because for me, I guess the film actually kind of wrapped with the, the last scene between Ultron and the Vision, the, the death of Ultron there. And this this almost felt like a post credit scene to me. You know, it's like, a, oh, it's a nice little thing. But this was, it was, uh, it was kind of expected. And because, like you said, we've gotten rid of so many of the core members of the Avengers, I'm not as invested in these characters as I should be. We've just just gotten to know the vision. Um, you know, Wanda, she hasn't been very engaging uh, for me for this film. And so, like, uh, and uh, like again, like you like we've said so many times before already that uh, Natasha's got a cool factor. But she's hard to glom onto as a character because she keeps changing from film to film. So the the only uh, the only characters we can really hang on to are um, you know are, are Captain America. He's the, he's the one we've been with for like the the whole time, and um, you know Iron Man, no matter whatever he end up doing, and that's the thing because they the next films they all went into. 
all kinds of different things with all these different characters. So it, yeah, I, I wish I could say more on it, but like, uh, I was just kind of like, eh, movie's over. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Steve, did I lose you? No, 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 no. I, you were just kind of cutting out, so I guess I didn't hear you. Um, yeah. It's my turn. Yep. I'm, guessing, I'm guessing it's my turn. <laughs> I'll just go. <laughs> yeah, your turn. Okay, then uh, what I'll say uh, with that is um, I thought that there was potential yeah. in it in a Caps Kooky Quartet way, uh, which is to say, okay, this is the first time that we've seen an Avengers team that did not have, like, all of the big three in it. Um, and so, you know, um, so basically, for those who don't know what I'm talking about, um, around uh, Avengers 16, uh, way back in the day in the Silver Age, um, there was ba- all the Avengers up and left. And the only one left was Cap, and uh, this is when he brought in the Scarlet Witch, Hawkeye, and Quicksilver. Um, and so um, we, we would have gotten something fairly similar to that uh, in this case, because really it's only Cap and Widow, and all these other guys are the new guys. Um, or there were like people that were associated with other Avengers, like uh, War Machine was. Uh, so you know, so we got that. So it would have been interesting to see. Um, something happened with this group, but we never do. They, it just leaves this promise there, and the promise is unfulfilled because when we get to um, Cap 3, which I agree is basically Avengers 3, um, you know, we got Iron Man back, and we got Thor back, and, and everybody's all back because then the team has to split. And so we never see this group actually do anything. Uh, the closest we get is we get Falcon uh, in Ant-Man, um, and that's it. So we never really see this team happen. Um, and that's kind of a shame because I think if they had been allowed to develop and we would have uh, some time to see them grow as a team um, and somebody could show us, you know, why we should care about all of them, you know, maybe something could have happened. Um, but as it is, it seems like this group is the leftovers. Um, you know, we don't have most of the big guns. Um, and, you know, we have these guys that are secondary characters to first stringers. And we have uh, characters that we have known for five minutes uh, and Vision, who was literally born yesterday, as he says. Um, so, yeah, that it, it, it's a waste of potential. And I'm going to tell you, the other aspect of Quicksilver being killed, that was a waste of potential. He could have been an Avenger with this group. <laughs> we, we could have had Quicksilver with these guys. That would have been better. That, you know, you can't tell me that Quicksilver would not have livened up some conflict with the rest of this group uh, had he been properly used and had he been written to potential. What a waste uh, in that, because, you know, had we seen them, we would have had something very close to the kooky quartet. Um, and if they had kept Hawkeye, it would have been the actual kooky quartet plus these other guys. So there would have, there would have definitely have been, you know, something to that and we didn't get it. So I would say for me, it was like, there's potential in it. I don't think that it's inherently a terrible idea, even if they're mostly second stringers. But um, we just don't get to see that developed, and it's uh, completely wasted, and that's a shame. Absolutely a shame. I agree with all that. I really did want to see them in action to see what Cap could do with them, but it never happens. Go ahead, Nemesis. Yeah, I mean, we did get the briefest glimpse of them 
<clears throat> of them in action right at the beginning of Civil War. And uh, I thought they worked pretty well as a team. I wanted to see more of that. And, uh, you know, and if you really want to get me going off sometime, ask me to tell you what I really think about them blaming uh, Scarlet Witch for that mess at the beginning of Civil War. But that's mm. a whole other thing. Um, but, yeah, the ending of this movie, uh, you know, really goes back to my comments when we first started this podcast, which is I really felt this film was an Avengers film in name only. And it was a vehicle to get them between uh, one Infinity War level Avengers movie and the next Infinity War, uh, you know, Infinity Stone based Avengers movie. And so they needed a bridge to get to some different places in the MCU. And they used the MC, uh, this Avengers movie and Ultron and Strucker and, uh you know, whatever they decided to do with uh, Claw and everything else to just kind of advance these characters to where they needed to be so they could move on to the next phase of the MCU. And for that reason, I mean, it really felt that way when I was watching the movie at the time. It just felt like, yeah, they're giving us a plot, but it's the thinnest veneer on a bridge, you know? And so I felt like, you know, how do you feel when you walk across a bridge? You don't feel real accomplished. You just felt feel like you moved from point A to point B, and now you're looking forward to putting point A behind you and seeing what's going on at point B. And that's kind of the way I felt when the movie ended. It was like, well, I watched it. There were some nice things I saw when I was crossing the bridge. Now I'm ready to see what's over here at point B when they go to the next phase of Marvel. And that's really what I felt like when this movie was over. Yes, uh, I guess we can agree that it was somewhat anticlimactic after, after such a, a long and dense movie and also after such a ridiculous plot, because don't get me started on dropping Sokovia from the sky. But, but anyway, and uh, I also agree about Blaming Scarlet Witch, that, uh, also ridiculous. For our review of Age of Ultron, we're going to springboard from this next into doing a review of WandaVision. So don't forget to check out and catch the next podcast because that was the hottest thing on TV while it was airing. And uh, we definitely have a lot to say about it. But you need to watch Age of Ultron and at least Endgame to get a good running start to understand what WandaVision is about. All right. Thanks very much uh, for tuning in to our listening audience. I'd like to thank my co-host. Thank you so much, Bracey. My pleasure, sir. Thank you so much, Steve. Yeah, glad to be here. Um, I, I really enjoy you know talking about these characters, and I look forward to being back next time with WandaVision. Thank you so much, Nemesis. Thank you, and I'm looking forward to our next movie review of Snakes on a Plane. Until then, <laughs> I'm out. all righty thank you folks and we will see you next time on the next episode of sloppy spoilers and we are out i have had enough (laughs) i am tired of these motherfucking snakes and this motherfucking plane